0: this is the art of charm learn everything you need to know to crush it in business love and life the art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men hey welcome to the art of charm i'm jordan harbinger the art of charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life love and at work imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is a show that we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. So make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here, as well as getting some killer free stuff by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, Check out the toolbox at the slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, even relationship management and breakups. That stuff is all obviously extremely important to your success, so make sure you get a handle on that as well. We've also got our boot camps and our live training running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com or just give us a call or even email me, Jordan H at theartofcharm. And I'll tell you exactly what you need to know to get started with that. I'm looking forward to meeting all you guys here at the Art of Charm. Today we're talking with my friend Jason Gaynard. He actually runs one of the most amazing networking events and speech events that I've I've heard of recently. It's called Mastermind Talks. He also uses a treadmill desk because he's a big weirdo. But we're going to talk about how he built a great business and then sabotaged himself, ending up in debt pulled himself out of that debt using only his network and super early wake-up call times, and how he rebuilt his business that serves himself much more than before and turned everything around for himself, again, using only his network. So enjoy this one. He's one of the best networkers that I know. There's a lot to be gleaned from it, so enjoy. You have a treadmill desk, so it's, it's, it's like a standing desk, but next level, you're actually walking while you're working.
1: Yeah, it was probably one of my my best investments uh, I made last year. So it's an actual really? like, tr- treadmill, and then I have a desk on top of that. So I do on average about five miles a day, uh, just doing like mindless work, like emails and stuff like that. So I actually have like a mic set up for my
0: podcast, like when I'm relaunching my podcast on it. Uh-huh. A- so that's so funny. So you're walking pretty slowly though. Five miles a day is is a lot, but it's not a lot if you're standing for like five hours. I mean, you yeah. should be. You know, it's really slow walking yeah. I walk at
1: one point seven miles an hour, and so I only do about three hours or so. So now, when you're, I, you're
0: walking quickly and not like normally.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. When I first got it, I thought I'd just use it for like, you know, very like mindless, mindless stuff, right? I didn't think you could be like creative and walk and type at the same time. I thought there was too many tasks yeah, at once. Yeah, but It seems like it. My best writing is actually by uh, on this treadmill desk. Like it, it's it's been amazing, and i I do on average like eighty miles a month. Which as before, I was just sitting down and you know (laughs) with terrible posture and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's, it was it's been a great investment. Yeah, I
0: almost I almost can't even believe that. You know what I mean? It's so that is so insane. It's so weird. I, I well, yeah. I was gonna
1: say if I have my phone on me, I, I have it in the other room now. But I take a picture because I have your 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 Skype headshot <laughs> and my treadmill on the on the backdrop there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, dude, it's it's incredible. It's one of the best investments I have made. And at our next Mastermind Talks event, I'm actually gonna have one set up there so people can uh, try it firsthand because a lot of people don't can't grasp it. Um, And they're like, oh, I can't work from it. Like it'd be too hard to do or whatever. But once you're doing it, you're like, this is, it's ridiculously easy.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, the health benefits are huge. I mean, there's tons of studies saying that
0: you sit down all day. It's, it's killing you. Right. Dude, I can, I can vouch for that. I sit a lot. I used to even more. I mean, I'm standing right now, but I occasionally I get lazy and like, I'll sit down. I started cycling, which I love. And I started doing yoga like every Friday at this startup place that is like open yoga on Friday or whatever. But (laughs) But, you know, my hips were totally screwed up. There, like, no medical issues, but just, just, like, sore, and they would, you know, pop, and it would be kind of painful, and, like, the hip flexors were super tight, and I could, yeah. like, barely do, I couldn't do certain movements, which is, that were very natural movements from other humans, and I, I remember I went to go get a massage from, like, a legit sports therapist uh, dude who's really, really good, and, like, you know, works on athletes, and he goes... He was working on my hip flexors and it was one of the most painful experiences of my life. And he goes, Dude, there's <laughs> something really wrong. He goes, Like, you must sit a lot. Yeah. And he's like, You must sit with your legs crossed underneath you. And I'm like, Yeah, I do that a lot. And he's like, That's so bad for you. So he goes, All right, I'm gonna push on these muscles. And I mean, I was screaming, writhing, cursing, everything for an hour. Yeah. And he goes, How do you feel? And I go, Is it weird that I feel taller? He goes, No, I didn't want to tell you, but like just because I didn't want to taint your perspective, but he goes you're probably an inch, inch and a half taller because of the way that your hips are sitting in the joints. And he goes, try to raise your leg out to the side. And I'm like, oh, I know I can't do that. And he's like, just try it now. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen my leg go in that direction, you know, ever in my life as an adult, especially. And he's like, yeah, man, you got some major tension, in your hip flexor. So I, at that point, I realized, OK, I'm really hurting myself by sitting on a chair all day. So I do stand much more now and I cycle more, which gets the muscles working in the legs in, in the opposite direction that most people do. But I think Treadmill desk man is very much the next. That's next level. I I can't stand for long for some reason. I get like lower back pain if I stand for
1: longer than an hour. But I can do a treadmill desk for yeah. I mean I could do four or five hours if I wanted to. I just probably get a little tired of it. So I do uh, my commitment is to do five miles a day. So I do five miles a day and that's it. But you know to what you said, I mean I very much the same thing. Like I'm sitting all the time and a terrible posture. I'm always like hunched over the computer and stuff like that. And you don't realize how it, like immobile we are as adults until you see a child like my daughter when she start start walking and stuff like that like she'll eat in like a squat squatted position like you know her ass on the floor and she's like she'll eat there and she'll watch tv from that position stuff like that like, i can't i can't even do like a half squat no so yeah like five
0: a, seconds of that position is excruciating and she's oh, yeah. like, i'm gonna sit here for 20 minutes i know and you realize like holy crap like you know
1: i mean this is the way we were designed to to move and this toddler gets it and here i am you know Thirty years old, and I'm like, I can't do an eighth of what she does as far as a movement is concerned. She's like, waist smaller and stronger than I am.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's a little messed up, especially. Yeah, yeah you see, I, I was doing the same thing. I was with like some family, and the baby, and everyone sees babies do this. They reach up and they put their foot in their mouth, and they're like, hmm, and I'm like, I could not do that if you paid me. There's no, <laughs> I couldn't even get close. Not that I would put my foot in my mouth literally, but I could. I, there's no way I can get my foot even remotely near that near my face or, or anything. And uh it's it's really, really sad because I'm not that old and I'm in decent, you know, I'm in decent enough shape. Yeah. I can run five miles, no problem. I can bike twenty miles, 20, 30 miles, no problem. But I can't bear I can I can't touch the floor with straight legs. First world problems, brother. I, sure. know, right? I know, right. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know exactly. Well moving on from us whining about aging, um tell us a little bit about yourself because you know you are First of all, you're one of the most connected people that I know, and you do it in a way that you're very approachable and accessible, which is great. So you balance that kind of. There's this whole thing where everybody wants to be connected with all these like internet nerd liberties, right? And people are always surprised when I answer my email. And there's other guys that I'm actually friends with, like you know, you write to Tim Ferriss, and you're like, hey, dude, let's grab, and it's like six assistants, or so like, sorry, Tim is blah blah, and I'm like, you know <laughs> what? You know, so it's really, you do a great job of balancing being accessible with still having like a kick ass network. So I want to talk about that. Um, but I also, I want to start earlier than that because you have a great business, but you had a great business before and then you kind of sabotaged yourself and like screwed up the whole thing. I did. I uh, I dropped out of high school. I started a service-based business, and uh, which
1: was a personal concierge business where we'd run errands for people and stuff like that. But I quickly realized that service-based businesses are hard to scale. Yes. So uh, we, tell me about it. <laughs> so we uh, we pivoted into an online product business selling concert tickets, and we grew that over four years um, to about six about six million dollars a year, uh, with no outside investments. Wow. And I was living the whole quote unquote the whole four hour work week. I was living the dream. But with all that money and all that free time, you start climbing up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You have your basic needs taken care of, your food, your shelter. Then you start asking yourself, like, why am I here? Uh, Will I be remembered? How many people show up to my funeral? And I was not happy with the answers I was giving myself at the time. Really? And uh, around that same time, I realized I was actually making 22 times the national average income. It wow. What is that
0: in Canada? It's like $24 a
1: day? <laughs> it's, I, think it's, I think it's about 30, 30, $33,000 uh, is the national average at the wow. time when I, when I looked it up. And, you know, In a business community, people would be like, that's amazing, high fives and that kind of stuff. But it bothered me, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I actually – you know, found out what the average income was divided by 20 or, or multiplied by 22. And that's basically what I was making. Uh, and it was bothersome to me cause I'm like, it's, I'm not 22 times happier than the average male. I'm not 22 times healthier. I mean, when I was two years prior to that, when I was 23, I had kidney complications because of stress in my business. So I realized that money and happiness scale very differently. Um, so at that point I decided to, to get out some way, somehow I, I consciously, you know, I said I'd sell the business. That was kind of my conscious decision. That was a smart business thing to do is try to sell it. Uh, but subconsciously, I actually start to scale the business downward. I started disconnecting from it. Um, I wouldn't show up to the office. I didn't care what my employees did, um, that kind of stuff. And uh, we were scaling downwards over the course of a year. Um, by accident
0: or on purpose?
1: On purpose. I just started disconnecting myself from it. It it was weird. I mean, it was a weird time. And one of the things was, I knew as long as I had a Plan B, which a business, which was a business, took care of all my wants and needs financially. I never followed through with Plan A, which was to create a business that would truly light me up. And Ah. now looking back, like now I can look back and and I I start seeing a few reasons why I sabotage myself. Uh, one of them is I'm I'm clear that I find peace in chaos. To a degree, so okay. when you get successful, at least it wasn't my case. When I got successful, I got a little complacent and I lost that drive. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're you're known for your identity is tied to being an achiever and overcoming adversity and stuff like that. And stuff just got comfortable for me, uh, and I became miserable. And I could at the time I couldn't pinpoint as to why. But when I look back, I was like, I was happiest when I was living in a bachelor basement apartment, you know, trying to make ends meet and trying to claw my way to the top, right? So on an unconscious level, I I wanted to get back to that. Um, so I was actually completely comfortable just scaling the business down to zero, um, and I'd still have a little bit of money in the bank, and I can start some. I'd have a little bit of a you know a little bit of runway. I could start something else, uh, else up. Um, but unfortunately, two things happened that were beyond my control on the way down uh, that landed me a quarter million dollars in cash debt, which was August of 2012. And that was, uh, that was a rough time for me for many reasons. I, was, yeah. I had a six-month-old daughter. My wife and I were just getting married at the time. So I had that, uh, that bill to take care of. Um, and for the first time in my life, I had no business, no cash flow. And when you have a business, it does you know, sometimes a million dollars in a month as far as cash flow is concerned. Um, and, and that's always been the case for four or five years, and that just stops one day. Uh, you don't know what's going to come in as, as, uh, as far as revenues after that, or what kind of business you're going to create. It, it's pretty scary. But the actually the, the scariest part, which I tell people oftentimes, is that um, you know I knew I had the mental capacity to pull myself out financially because I have made more than a quarter million in the past. Um, but with all this added pressure of not knowing what's coming next, and you know six month old daughter and all this kind of stuff, and the debt, um, I had I had no energy. I right? was like having a Ferrari for a brain with no gas in the tank. And that was actually the first thing I had to get back on track before anything else was really my health. Um, So, I mean, I I also, like most entrepreneurs, while I was building that business uh, to what it was, uh, to that $6 million or what have you, um, I I built it at the expense of my health. I built it at the expense of some of my relationships and stuff like that. And and when I had nothing left, I was just stuck with this overweight (laughs) slush machine that did me absolutely no good. So getting my health back on track was the first thing. And then uh, slowly after that, I started to, to build things back up.
0: But okay. uh, I think a lot of guys are like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, why did you, let's let's dig into the sabotage process a little bit more because sure. it's kind of like, okay, you built this big business, great. Then you sabotage yourself. But why? I mean, was it, you, why did you not like your business enough? Or what was the subcon? Do you have a 2020 hindsight version of like, oh, in retrospect, the reason I decided to sort of ruin this really good thing that I had instead of selling it or instead of keep doing it was dot, 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 and here's how I would have avoided that?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, there there was a few things to it. I mean, like most business books will tell you or, or or mentors will tell you, is like, you know, pick a business based on like proximity and opportunity, right? Whatever business you can make the most money at, just, just go for it. Uh, and my mentors at the time were, uh, they were great mentors, but they were all very financially successful. And that was kind of my model for success was, you know, what kind of business I can create that'll make me a lot of money. And I ended up in the concert ticket business. I hated concerts. I never went to concerts. <laughs> we sold millions of dollars of, you know, hockey tickets. I've never been to a hockey game, uh, live and stuff like that. I and you're
0: Canadian, that. so that's serious. <laughs> I know. I'm in Toronto.
1: It's like the mecca. Uh, up here in Canada, but unfortunately, I, I've never, uh, I've never been to a game. So, um, it's one of those things. It was just an industry I didn't like. I didn't like my customers. I hated my customers with a passion. Um, you know, I would, I would sab. I started this after a while. I started to sabotage like money making opportunities. People would email me or call me, and I wouldn't return their calls because I knew if I sold to them, then I'd have to deal with them. And if I had to deal with them, I just didn't want to keep on this like cycle of just. BS to a degree, yeah. Um, So those were some of the reasons. There was it was like, and also, I mean, there was a death of a thousand paper cuts as well. Like, I didn't enjoy the industry. I had some B players and C players in the business. I was never good at identifying A talent and keeping A talent. Um, So I hired some B players who, in turn, hired some C players. (laughs) So kind of worked down. That's how that goes. Yeah, and I had a few cancers in the business um, as well. So when I, I mean, the business if I had a, a group of A players and if I start to remove myself from the business like I was, uh, it's, it, it was quite possible the business would have survived a little while longer, but I had people who were, were not great, uh, team people. So when I removed myself just, the just the, you know, the business kind of killed itself, um, from the inside out. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of things. I just, the, the big kind of overarching thing is that I had this vision of, obviously the more successful you are financially the happier you'll be or you'll start attaining those goals and all my goals at that point in time were all financial and when i started attaining those goals and you reach them or you get close to reaching them you're like now what and because it's not as fulfilling as you thought it'd be and that kind of stuff and this isn't a whole like money doesn't equal happiness debate right that. i just where i was at the time when i started getting there i was like this is not what i thought it would be so, naturally, I started looking back well, when was I happiest when I was happiest, I was building something. I was really involved in something, my identity was tied to something, and I was taking huge risk. Um, so unconsciously and unconsciously, I want to get back there. Um, and I mean i there's a lot of stuff. I saw the the business as a source of pain because that was probably one of the more painful times of my life when I felt unfulfilled. yeah, um and even when I told people I was selling it. I didn't like, list it with any business brokers or anything like that. And I had people in my network who were like, I'll buy the business or I know somebody who'll buy the business. And I wouldn't give them the time of day to sit down and talk about it because for me, I'm like, this business caused me so much pain that I don't want to sell my biz- this business to a friend and they come back to me like two years later say, you ruined my life or something
0: like that. So, yeah, yeah, like thanks for selling me this cancerous work tumor like, thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, so... Yeah, there was there was a lot of things there, but uh,
1: there, yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's a lot of parts to it. But like I said, it's kind of death of a thousand paper cuts. But I, one of the, one of the core reasons I think is because it was simply a business that didn't I didn't enjoy, and I wouldn't have picked other than you know to make good money and quick money.
0: It's funny because I've thought of things like this a lot in the past, and I, whenever I go through stress at the art of charm, and I don't as much anymore. But back in the day when the the money wasn't where it is now, it was kind of like. I knew I should have done XYZ business where I get really rich doing this thing that's super boring cuz I have I I have tons of ideas and I have a, a large network as well of people that were like hey you should you know move out to Abu Dhabi with me and we've got an import business where we get like basic western necessities and you would be great at going to these places and purchasing and I'm like that sounds totally shitty thanks though <laughs> you know what I mean and, but it's like the the money involved he was gonna give me equity and like that dude makes millions of dollars and i'm like this is really neat you know i would love to make that kind of money but it just sounds so boring and then there were other technology ventures where i was in a you know unique position to help people get access to a certain market or or try to create a certain product you know that had this that required xyz and i'm thinking yeah but it's so lame like it just seems yeah. so lame and It's totally the same thing that you were talking about before. Like that was an idea we had way back in the day when tickets were just tickets and they would rip them and put them in a box and, you know, or even if they did scan them, it was just like a barcode that said, this is a valid ticket. That's real. And you could print them on your computer if you had a color printer, which no one did back in the day. And, you know, I was like, why doesn't this connect to a database? And you can see that all the entrances, that ticket's already been used, so people can't walk out with a stub and go get their friends from the parking lot, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I was like, that would have been a really great money-making idea, but really, really boring to implement for me. Just totally not cool. I don't care about tickets, and I don't care about the events attached to them 99.9% of the time. So I, I feel you. You, But you ended up choosing and you're making me feel better. You ended up choosing the one <laughs> that made a lot of money, but that you were just totally uninterested in. And and that would you say that that was a mistake and like, would you not do that again? I mean, it sounds like you, you don't recommend that.
1: Well, no, uh, it's well, it's tough because, I mean, I really sharpened my business skills uh, in that business. Right. So, I mean, I learned a ton uh, during that time. And it's tough to say, to go back and say, you know, I wish I wouldn't didn't have need that. that. Or, right, or, yeah. or I suggest somebody chooses a different path because understanding how to make money is a pretty important skill set. <laughs> generally, so, generally exactly, good. Especially yeah. if you want to do business. So for me, I mean, that I was able to take the majority of that skill set and, and move it on to my next business. But getting clarity on oh, really what the end goal is I think is a huge thing because kind of what you touched on, I mean, uh, opportunities are abundant, right? I mean, when I hit rock bottom and I didn't know what was coming next – there, I, thankfully, I had a great network. So I had a ton of opportunities come my way. But one thing that was different this time around was I don't know if somebody put me onto it or how I heard about it, but I did this thing called like the perfect day exercise, which was like honing down on your perfect day, what that looks like to a T. Like, where are you waking up? Who are you waking up next to? What time are you waking up? What are you having for breakfast? You know, what time are you going to work? What does, You don't have to say what work looks like specifically, but how, how, how many hours of the day are you devoting to work? What does that look like? Are you going into an office where there's a team? Are you connecting with people virtually? And get really clear on that day because, I mean, basically the theory is that the core function of, of business is to make money. And the core function of money, in my opinion, is to perpetuate experiences in our day-to-day life. So if we were clear on what our day-to-day life should look like or what we want it to look like, then we can reverse engineer what business would kind of fit that, right? So um, that's how I got, I started using that as a filter. So all the opportunities that did come my way, I'd ask myself, I could, I could use this perfect day as a filter. And I'd say, would this take me closer to this perfect day or would it take me further away? So if it was in an industry, I'm trying to think of a, an opportunity that came my way at the time, but if it was an industry I didn't really care about or an opportunity to make a ton of money or whatever the case may be, but it wouldn't take me closer to that perfect day because there's two different types of freedom, right? Entrepreneurs a lot of us are are conscious that one of the core reasons why we're entrepreneurs is that deep desire for freedom. But there's, so there's a freedom to do things, um, which a lot of entrepreneurs, quite a few entrepreneurs have is they have the money to do things, but they don't have the freedom from the business to do those things.
0: That is very true.
1: I can vouch for that. That for me was a big thing is, is kind of identifying what that perfect day was to a T and then using that as a filter for all opportunities. And then the byproduct is, I mean, I'm doing something now that, lights me up like nothing else. I mean, my last business, I I, I didn't want to remotely deal with my customers as opposed to the business I'm in now. There's not a single person that comes to our events that I wouldn't have over for Sunday dinner with my family.
0: That's great. I mean,
1: it's good. Well, yeah, it's completely different. And I'm sure you, you probably, you know, subscribe to some of them. I'm sure there's people within your, your business that you do business with that, you know, you, they're just, they're friends, right? It's, It's, it's,
0: yeah. Most like AOC clients, a lot of guys are like, Hey, they'll email a few months later, like, hey, not sure if you remember me, but I came to boot camp and I'm like, uh, I obviously remember you and <laughs> I obviously remember everything we talked about. I meet a lot of people, but, you know, someone lives in your house for a week. It's like, OK, this is somebody that you're not going to forget anytime soon. And exactly. The only time that I might space on somebody is if they have a name like John Smith and they're like, hey, I went to your boot camp. And I'm like, oh, because I can't see your Facebook picture because it's your baby and not you. Like, I don't maybe I don't remember. <laughs> I don't rec- I don't see the resemblance yet, but yeah. So it's, you know, of course, I love doing that. And then, of course, throughout the course of the interviews that I do, speaking of perfect day, it's get up, go for a bike ride, come back, spend two or three hours talking with really interesting people, recording it, and then delivering that content to the world. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. You yeah,
1: know? that's awesome, dude.
0: Back to the show. And uh, so how did you turn yourself around? I mean, you started waking up ass early. And I mean, not like <laughs> 7.30 a.m., but like four o'clock in the morning early. What yeah. the hell? Why?
1: Uh, well, so around that time, um, I so I had my six-month-old daughter, and I started to resent her because, again, I'm very clear as to why I'm an entrepreneur so that I can do what I want, when I want, wherever I want, is, is to have that freedom. And anybody who has a child knows that uh, that <laughs> freedom kind of goes out the window for a little bit when you right, have a kid. Right. Like if you if you study happiness, I was studying happiness a lot of the time because I was unhappy. And one of the pillars of happiness is perceived control. And I had no sense of control in my life at the time. I mean everything was spiraling. My my weight, my finances, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my daughter, like I had no control anywhere. Um, and with my daughter, I'm like, I can't go on resenting my daughter. I'm like, I, you don't hear that from too many fathers that they, they hate their child to a degree. So I'm like, I can't go on like this. Um, so what I can do is I can bank on not having control between the hours of 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., which is the time she was awake. Uh, but what I can't control is the time before that or the time after that. And so I did this as purely like a happiness experience. I'm like, at least if I can control my mornings. Then hopefully that'll help me be happy. So I started waking up at 4 a.m. and then, I mean, since then I found out there's so many benefits to having strong morning rituals. But I just became vigilant as far as what I did between the hours of 4 to 8 a.m. and over time I I started to get more productive in those first four hours of the day than I would, uh, you know, in, in a 14 hour day working for myself before I had a kid. So. Uh, that's how I started doing that. And I did, I, I do 5 a.m. wake ups now because 4 a.m. is a little tough socially because I, I also, it's really important to get your sleep. So if I'm waking up at 4 a.m., I'm going to bed at like 8 p.m., which my wife wasn't a huge fan of, but I wasn't dating or anything like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a huge kind of damper on my social life. So now I wake up at five, but for the longest time I was uh, four to eight was kind of my, my go time. Wow. Wow. So you went to bed right after you put your baby to bed. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> right and good. I think what, what probably helped with, waking up early. I've always been a morning person. So waking up at 5am hasn't been a killer for me. So this is only an hour or more. Um, but you're, I mean, when your daughter's six months old, your, your concept of time is just out the window anyways. Like I'd be waking up. I used to still go to the gym back then. And I'd be, I'd wake, she'd wake up around four back then actually. And I'd wake up at like two 45, go to the gym, a 24 hour gym locally, come back and then get her when she wakes up at four. So my, my sleep was already messed up. Um, so <laughs> it's already it was, out the window. Exactly. Know, it.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't a big deal to, to wake up at that specific time. Interesting. Wow. So were you just hyper productive during that time?
1: I became hyper productive. Yeah. So I just, it was, it was one of the, one of the core reasons cause there's, you're not reacting to stimulus as much, right? You're not, you're not reacting to text messages and phone calls and incoming emails. You'll have emails obviously, but they're not, there's not going to be any new fresh emails at three four in the morning. Um, so you
0: really have – that's the best time really to control your, your, your time and where you allocate your time. That's true because the- no reasonable person in the world, even if your friends know you get up that early, they're yeah. not up that early. And even people who are in different time zones like three-plus hours ahead, it's still early. And nobody can be like, hey, I know you're up that early, so do you want to do a call? Because you'll be like, no, and they're not going to go. What? You don't want to meet at 5 a.m.? That's totally unreasonable no matter what, right?
1: Yeah, there, there's no there's no expectations from anybody. Now, I think about it. There's no expectations from anybody on the outside, right? From your spouse, from your kids, from anybody. That's like your time. Um, so, you know, if you squander it away on Facebook, that's your problem. But uh, that's the there's no other opportunity you'll have throughout the day to have full control of your time. Um, and like I, I learned personally, when, when you have control over that time, it's, it's pretty crazy what you can accomplish in a few hours.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Wow, so you started getting up super early. You started to use your network. Let's talk about the network that you used to help pull yourself out of it because I know that you have a great network now. How did you start to use your... Well, first of all, did you have that network before when you started to pull yourself out of the hole? And how did you use a network to pull yourself out of debt slash start a new business. I mean, that to people who don't have that or don't have that ability sounds like magic. Sure. Yeah. So
1: it, it's it's funny how it happened. So all this kind of the house of cards fell in August of 2012. Uh, somebody actually gave me – somebody in my network gave me a ticket to go see Seth Godin in uh, New York in October. And it was just kind of luck of the draw thing. Um, they just post on Facebook and like anybody want a ticket, it's free. I'm like, I'll jump on it. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't pay to go because my wife would never let me spend that kind of money at that time. So right. it was just perfect timing. And I didn't even know what the the his little seminar was about. Uh, but I've always been a huge fan of Seth and I've never had that never had the opportunity to actually see him in person. So I went down to it and the theme of it was the connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. And at the time, I'm like, there's no group as disconnected as entrepreneurs because everybody's working in their own little silos and stuff like that. So um, when I came back from that, I started holding these things called mastermind dinners where I'd invite six to eight entrepreneurs who didn't know each other and would help facilitate connecting them over dinner. And the first one I did, I almost canceled two hours prior because I'm like, nobody's going to see value in this. They're going to think I wasted their time. Uh, But thankfully, I went through with it. And uh, that first dinner, I got clear on a few things and one of them that connecting entrepreneurs was something I wanted to do to some capacity for the rest of my life because I lost track of time during that dinner. It lasted like four and a half hours and the conversation didn't skip a beat. So uh, I kept on doing these dinners, and people thought I was crazy because they didn't cost me $700, $800 a dinner to put on because I was paying for them and I wasn't sure. charging people. Sure. Um, but at the time, I was I was considering bankruptcy. I mean, that was a strong option because I didn't know how I was going to pull out of this. Yeah, so
0: you're like, whatever, it's J.P. Morgan Chase's money probably at the end of all this. So <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm like, the bank could take my car.
1: They could take whatever measly assets I have left, but they can't take my relationships. That's a good so point. Investing in my relationships and investing in myself at the time, were the two safest investments I could make because everything else was uncertain. So I kept on doing those dinners. And then shortly after that, uh, oddly enough, with the whole waking up at 4 a.m., um, Tim, who's, uh, Tim Ferriss is a, a friend of mine. I've known him for a few years, but he's one of the best book marketers I know by far. And he had a book coming out called The 4-Hour Chef. And he, uh, he had these things where he was banned out of 1,100 Barnes & Noble bookstores so he had to move a lot of books within. Why did
0: he get banned again? Do you know why
1: that happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's because uh, he was the first big name author being published through Amazon. So Barnes and Noble wanted to kind of make an example oh. out of out of Amazon, which didn't work. Yeah, but oops. I know. so so that was kind of the thing but you know from tim's perspective it was, it was risky because his first book was a huge bestseller his second book was a huge bestseller so the expectation is obviously the third is going to be a bestseller so you had to get creative and him and i know Ron, you i know you've, you've interviewed ryan holiday before right sure yeah yeah so so him and him and ryan kind of strategized a few different things and one of them was to do this land rush deal where if you bought five books you got this if you got 20 books you've got this webinar if you bought all you know, different uh groups uh, of, of books, you got different things. And he had this one like Hail Mary package that if you bought four thousand books, you get two speaking engagements. And at the time I thought of actually a friend of mine who puts on these huge events in Canada. They have like two, three thousand people. So I'm like, this is a great opportunity for him. So I sent him an email and the minute I click send, I'm like, you know this is a good opportunity for anybody because uh Tim's doesn't speak that much and he's never spoken in Canada. So there there's scarcity there. So uh, I ended up emailing Tim directly, and I'm like, you know what, I'll 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 take the package because he was only
0: offering one. And um,
1: please, so, you, I, so
0: then your friend goes, oh, great, and emails him, and he's like, sorry, bro, it's taken. He's like, <laughs> oh, man, who got it? The guy that sent you the suggestion and the well, email.
1: I emailed my buddy because I, I, as soon as I emailed him, I emailed him again, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take the package if yeah. you want to split it or something because it was too oh, speaking. Oh, good call. Good call. Yeah. So, um, he didn't have, end up taking it, uh, but what oh, happened was – Uh, I had to basically raise $84,000 in two days. I was going to ask you how much that
0: costs because those books are not cheap.
1: No, and they're not small either, so I still have a lot of them. uh,
0: (laughs) So if you need a copy of The 4-Hour Chef, you know where to go.
1: If you need cheap firewood, yeah, please let me know. Uh, (laughs) know. But, uh, but yeah, so um, I had to raise – sorry, in 48 hours, I had to raise basically $84,000. Right. And – i never raised money in the past ever. Like I I built my first business on credit cards. I was always raised never to ask anything from anybody. Yeah. That just was just join the yeah. club. Yeah. So um, that was just the, kind of the way I was raised. So it was very difficult for me to do, but obviously this, I already made the commitment. And, and that's one of the things I knew. Like if, that whole uh, eustress thing, right? Like when you put yourself in a state of stress where you know you can kind of deliver. And that was one of the things I knew if I committed to
0: buying those books, I'd find a way to raise $84,000. So there's a name for putting yourself in so much stress that you have to deliver? Yeah, it's called eustress. I've never so, heard of that, but it basically explains my entire college career.
1: <laughs> exactly. So um, so I, I basically, that morning, I called, uh, I reached out to three friends um, and I said, you know, this is what I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for, for money. I'm going to do some kind of event. I have no clue what I'm going to do. But for me, I saw it as an opportunity to do what I do in these dinners of like seven or eight people, but on a scale of like a hundred people. And it was very, uh, you know, looking back, I don't, I don't know how they invested in me, but the first two, pe- the first person said, uh, he wanted to see the numbers. He was very kind of analytical business guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, no problem, but I only have 48 hours. So I'll see if I can get back to you. Uh, the second guy wanted to talk about like starting a business together, and the third guy just gave me the money right away, and he's like, "We'll talk about it later." And I got clarity that you ne- like at that point in time, like you never know the value of your network until you really need it.
0: And wait, uh, so somebody was like, "Oh, eighty-four grand?" Yeah, do you take PayPal? Yeah, well, he basically
1: yeah, he gave me a, a bank draft the following day and uh and the funny thing is why, one of the reasons why is I, I afterwards like three months later i i reached out to him i'm like why did you give me the money because i had no business idea like i it was you a know, business idea that was three hours old but we get 30 business ideas a day yeah right so it was not proven there was no market research it was not that kind of stuff and he said you know i wasn't investing in the business i was investing in you and I realized at that point in time, like, you know, when you hit rock bottom, you'll be left with two things. One is your network and two is your word. And you should never tarnish your word and you should always invest in your network. And um, that's like, since then, like, integrity and your word and stuff like that has been, like, a key thing to me. Like, I always try to, you know, stay within integrity and stuff like that because that's all you have when you have nothing left. Right. So I was able to you – know, so I got the money uh, and then I got the books. And, uh, at that time, so Tim's like, we were, Tim and I were talking and he's like, well, you know, you gotta pick a date. So I picked, uh, May 20, 22nd, 23rd, which is a week before my birthday last year or in 2013. And the reason I did before my birthdays, because usually my birthdays are like the most depressing day of the year for me, because I feel like
0: I haven't accomplished enough. Right. That's like that. the day you measure yourself against what you'd hope to achieve by exactly, the age.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, at least if I have a good event, I'll have a better birthday. So um, so I did the event and Tim was the first guy I had. And then I just leveraged uh, a lot of people in my network. Uh, I reached out to them and and, and kind of that's how we b- built out Mastermind Talk. So it's a two day wow. event. And uh, the first event we had Uh, We had Tim there, we had Mark Echo, Ryan Holiday, AJ Jacobs, uh, James Altucher, uh, Derek Halpern, Lewis Howes, uh, a few others. Um, So great, great group of people. I mean, forever grateful that they took, Dan Martel's another one, uh, forever grateful that they took the risk uh, to be at that event, because it was risky, because you never know as a speaker, you know, making that commitment, especially for a first-time event, like, are there going to be people in the room, how many people, who's going to be the quality of the people, Um, so the fact that they, they took that 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 leap of faith for me, I'll forever be grateful. Um, and then from that we built out our first event. I was just actually planning to do the one event. I never thought I'd be in the event space. I saw it as a social capital play because I thought if I could put a hundred amazing entrepreneurs in the room, I just added a hundred amazing people to my network. Uh, but thankfully it was, it was a huge success. Um, and purely because of the quality of people in the room, because we were, we curated the audience. We had 4,200 people apply and I picked the top 110 people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had a great event and did another one three weeks ago, which was another big success. So
0: I'm officially in the event space. That's amazing. So let me just back up the truck a little bit. You basically said, hey, do you want to come alongside and speak next to Tim Ferriss? And everybody went, yeah, sure, because that's a good first name to have. And he was the headliner that you got because you bought a ton of his books and you got the money from somebody else in your network.
1: Exactly. So I didn't. I don't. I didn't pay any speakers. That's not our. Like we don't pay any for speakers. That's not our model. Uh, instead, what you we just do, bribe
0: them by buying all
1: of their books. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, actually, what we do is we put up a. I took it from uh, Peter Diamandis's X Prize model. So we put up a prize for the best talk is voted by the audience. And some speakers do it on behalf of charity. Some don't. But. Uh, that's one of the kind of the unique things about our events is if I were to pay speakers or speaker fees, I would. That's one of the biggest things as an event promoter. That's where your costs go. Is, sure. Yeah. You know, speaker fees. Or Seventy thousand dollars out the door for your headliner. Exactly. So instead of us spending, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars for fifteen speakers, we're we're only putting up a twenty five thousand dollar prize. And in the case of our first event, I, that was our secret sauce. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and not a lot of people were aware of it. Is I knew if I had Tim. I could get people who want to be connected to Tim, or people who are already friends with Tim, but they're never at the same place at the same time. So I could make the event like that catalyst to kind of reconnect him and his friends to a degree. And although like we all ha- shared, uh, we we shared a very similar network. Like I knew Ryan Holiday, I knew AJ Jacobs, all that kind of stuff. It was
0: just a reason for them to come down outside of winning the prize. Right, and of course, also it's just good leverage to be like oh i spoke at this thing and then people google it and go oh i know all of the other speakers there so you must be at that caliber blah 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 exactly yeah
1: and, and once you got the first one or two big ones the anchors and stuff like that then it builds credibility i mean a lot of people thought the event was a scam not the speakers but uh people were posting on tim ferris's like facebook page They're like is this event a scam because there's so many like great speakers what have you um so we did <laughs> go up against that a little bit but I mean the first event was a huge success. I mean we charged 33.97 for the most part. Um and uh yeah, it was it
0: it, it couldn't have gone off any better. And it's funny cuz now you you just said and maybe I misunderstood you but that you had like 4200 so 4200 people wanted to buy tickets, not to speak at, wanted to buy tickets for the last one and you chose 110 people. Yeah, so the first one
1: we did, we, we, we did it by application only because um, I didn't want to just take anybody per se. So uh, we opened it up for applications, and we received 4,200 applications to attend. Uh, and then I went through every single application one by one, which was not scalable. So we changed the model up for a second event. But I went to reach out to everybody individually. Or sorry, I looked through every application one by one and identified the top 100, probably identified the top like 160 people and 110 of them signed up. Um, and, uh, that's how we did the first event. The second event, uh, we actually didn't open it up to the general public. Instead, what we did was we only allowed a third of the people to come back from the year prior. Um, and, uh, the, the other two thirds, what we did was I just identified over the past year, I go to a lot of events. I meet a lot of interesting entrepreneurs. So I create this list of like people who I think would be a great fit for the event and who'd be able to contribute as well. And it was about a list of like 80, 90 entrepreneurs. And I just reached out to them individually um, and 78% of those people signed up. So, um, that's what we did for our last event and it, it sold up that way.
0: It's really cool. And, and of course the speakers, they don't get paid. So what do they, they sleep on your couch and you're like, by the way, I get up at four o'clock in the morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's one thing we, we, we do take care of, uh, their flights and accommodations, okay. but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a marginal cost compared to speaker fees. Um, so, I mean, we'll, you know, to fly in 15 speakers and, and, uh, take care of the hotel, we're looking like 20 grand, uh, for, for something like really nice. So, um, again, it's, it's a fraction of what we would be paying if our event was a little more kind of conventional.
0: Sure. Excellent idea. I mean, it's amazing because I just want to point out that a lot of people are thinking right now, like, oh, I can't do that because all you had was your network. You literally used like none of your own money because you didn't have any. And you just did a ton of hustle, borrowed the cash from people in your network that you had been creating. And now a lot of people think, oh, I don't. And I hear this a lot. Oh, I don't need to network because I don't really need anything. You know, right now I'm I'm settled in my career. And you are like the poster child for dig your well before you're thirsty. Well there's a, here's a great example because I mean that's the one thing is people
1: don't invest in their network because they don't see the direct ROI or the immediate ROI they right. aren't pegging that um but it's it's funny so if you look the reason I knew Tim Ferris and I knew a lot of these big names is cuz Tim actually put on an event 3 years ago called Opening the Kimono yes. which was uh, yeah. gear, geared gear towards authors and it was $10,000 to go for two days. And I never had the intention of ever becoming an author. But I'm like, at $10,000, there's bound to be some good people there. Yeah. Um, so I pulled the trigger on it. I went to that event. I applied. I got accepted. And I went down to it. And at the time, people in my network were like, "You're crazy spending $10,000 for two days. You're never going to see the ROI." And I'm like, "I don't know. There's some interesting people here. Who knows what'll come from it?" Um, and at the the event, I'm not a super good networker. Like in, I'm a terrible networker actually. Like like in face to face environments, I'm great with <laughs> following up and stuff like that. That's where I allocate a lot of my energy. And uh, but I so I stayed in touch with quite a few people, including some of the speakers. And if you look at our first mastermind talks event, five of the speakers. Um, that spoke on stage for free, in essence, were from Tim's original event three years prior. I had uh, probably about six or seven people in the audience who paid to be at my event from that event from three years prior. Uh, and uh, I had two people signed up for my $20,000 a year mastermind group from that event. So if I actually add up the, the, the what I would have paid in, in speaker fees... Lost revenue from those six tickets plus the two people of mastermind. It comes out to like two hundred forty thousand dollars. So that ten thousand dollar investment that I made three three years ago, which I had no clue. I never thought I'd be in the event space. I didn't know how I leverage these relationships. But that ten thousand dollar investment yielded like a two hundred forty thousand dollar return uh, within three years. And these are relationships. The beauty is, I mean, I'm still friends with Ryan Holiday. We did stuff in Napa Valley a few months ago together. Like I'm still friends with all these people. So if I live to a hundred. Uh, you know, these, uh, the ROI from that one little event is going to be in the millions easily. Sure. Easily.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And that, and that's without selling any books, which is, was the whole focus of the content. Exactly. hundred yeah. percent. That's wow. amazing. And obviously I want to attend next year. I know you invited me this year, but I ju- we just met like the month before and I was like mastermind talks that fly out on short notice. Like, I don't know what's going on. My head is yeah. spinning already. I can't do it, but I'm obviously going next because of course Two weeks beforehand, everybody was like, are you going? Are you going to this? Are you going to that? Am I going to stay there? Are you going to do that? And uh, the, these other mastermind groups that you and I are in together, everybody was like, hey, why aren't you going to that? Hey, I didn't see you at the at mastermind talks. What's the deal? So I felt like the loser who didn't you know, <laughs> get to the party because he was grounded. Well, um, our,
1: our next one's probably going to be taking place near you in Napa Valley,
0: most likely. I so. can handle that. Sweet. So I can actually drive there. So I don't have to sleep on your couch and wake up at 4 a.m. with you. There you go. Perfect. I'll take it. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, it's funny, man. That's such, It's so amazing because you are a great connector. You do have that unique approach to relationship building. I mean, here's the thing, though. You're in proximity to all these people. That's not the end all, right? You can't just go to an event with a ton of really important people and be like, hey, we were at this thing together. Call me, right? You've got to have a process for getting a relationship started with them, following up over time. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think a lot of people are thinking right now, buy $10,000 ticket, dot, 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 leverage relationships. And there's a lot in there.
1: Yeah, it's funny. So that's been something that's kind of been unconscious for quite some time. And a good friend of mine has been pulling it out of me over the last little bit. So I've been a little more conscious of it. But uh for example with that Tim Ferris event, I'm a little different now, but with that Tim Ferris event, how I, I kind of forge those relationships was again like at events, I'm not I'm kind of an introvert. I, I'm the type of guy who like stands in the corner of the room and just observes everybody and and just you know who's the who's kind of leading the room and that kind of stuff. And but what I do or what I did in that case was post-event, uh I reached out to people and I didn't do it right away. I, I waited. So for example, with speakers, some of the speakers I thoroughly uh, thoroughly enjoyed their talk. And if you put yourself in the shoes of speakers, if you're empathetic, you're like, you know, they practice this talk. They put their life's work into whatever they they said on stage. They go on stage and they say it out there with the hopes that it's going to resonate with somebody. Not only resonate with them, but they apply it in some way. So what I did with the speakers is six months after the event, I followed up with them and I did a video email to each and every one of them. And I said, hey, it's Jason. We met briefly at this event six months ago. I just want to let you know that your talk was fantastic and it impacted me in these ways. And this is how I applied it. Uh, and this is, these are the results I got. And the feedback I got from those videos were incredible. Like I shared those privately with people and they ended up sharing them on their Facebook pages, like for their brands. Or, you know, I got one speaker got back to me. She's like, I'm in tears right now. Nobody's ever done that. Um, so that's kind of one way I, I, I did it for that particular event. Now I do other things. Like I, am usually pretty clear as to who's, and I have a good enough network that I can be clear on who's going to be at, at an event. And I'll usually do like uh, speaker dinners because oftentimes event promoters don't do that. So for example, I did, I was in uh, Portland earlier last this week, actually, uh, or last week, uh, for uh, world domination summit and, uh, I just reached out to a few of the speakers and I'm like, do you guys want to do dinner? I knew some of them personally and stuff like that. So I did a speaker dinner one night. Um, I did a dinner, a breakfast for a bunch of well, probably about 20 people, uh, probably a few people that we mutually know um, during the event as well. So I do all kinds of like meetups like that during events. But I'm, I'm much, I, I'm always looking at, you know, there's a great quote from 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, which is what works in the military works in marketing and that's the unexpected. And I take that to relationship building as well. Like if you're in a cocktail room or it's a cocktail party room and every you're you know, somebody's going to meet 10 people that night, you're not really going to stand out or it's going to be tough to stand out. And there's a lot of noise. So what I'll do is I'll wait, you know, a week or two after the event and it's, you can find out anybody's email address or LinkedIn profile or whatever the case may be. And I'll reach out to them that way in an authentic way. And, uh, you know, it really helps. It really kind of, there's no noise and it, it helps you kind of stand above the crowd. And that's just usually the way I network. It's not necessarily the, maybe the best way to network, but it, it works, definitely works
0: for me. There's a lot of, there's a lot here. I think a lot of people, they don't think they need to network or they don't think that they can overcome certain obstacles. And it's funny that you did it basically using only your network as opposed to having a bunch of extra cash or being from a priv- privileged background, et cetera. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I I love that. And so now looking back, I mean, looking at your current business, in what ways does it light you up differently than your other one, which made a bunch of money did not and caused you to sabotage yourself? Oh, God. Uh, I mean, (laughs) where to begin right?
1: on all fronts. Yeah. I mean, like I said, just even down to like the customers, I hate referring to them as customers because some of these people, um, you know, they're all friends. But I mean, some of these people I would literally take a bullet for. Um, They're some of my favorite people on the planet to be able to to serve the move from a position of like selling something to serving people. Um, It's, it's, it's night and day just on that level. Um, You know, what I'm doing now is very much in alignment with what I'm good at, like what my unique ability is. You do those like Colby tests and you do, you know, disc profiles and stuff like that. You start to get an idea of what you're really, really good at. Um, And my first business was not in alignment at all with what I was good at. I mean, what I'm good at, uh, according to those tests, and it's it's true. It's like being, uh, you know, on stage and being a, a performer is what they call me. In essence, and I never saw myself as such. But being behind an e-commerce business did me absolutely no good as far as feeling alive is concerned. Right. So, sure. you know, you start to get as you get older, you start to get more aware of what you're good at when you're in state of flow, um, and stuff like that. So, I mean, for the most part, I always feel like I'm working on things that truly light me up um, and that give me energy. And that's the biggest thing from, you know, my business before is, is a lot of stuff I did spreadsheets and stuff like that do not give me energy. So, um, that, I mean, this business really forces me to, to work outside my comfort zone cause it's very unconventional and it's a deep rabbit hole as far as an experience is concerned or a creating experiences is concerned. So that's challenging. Like the, the, the aspect of it's a really deep rabbit hole and, and there's, you can achieve mastery to a degree. Like people, when they talk about mastermind talks, a lot of people who've experienced it are like, this is the greatest event I've been to, which to me, I don't want to like rest on my laurels. Like I want to always kind of raise that bar year over year, uh, which is really exciting for me. So it's one thing. I mean, surrounding myself with entrepreneurs is something I want to do for the rest of my life is, I mean, this business, I, in theory, in this current shape and form, I could do it for the rest of my life. Well, I, I don't know how, what the future holds, but, it's, uh, yeah, it definitely
0: lights me up. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, man. Hopefully, I'll be able to attend before the bar gets so high that I don't qualify. <laughs> I'll definitely keep you in the loop. Excellent. Thanks so much, man. Much appreciated. Great show. Thanks, brother. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. He is one of the best networkers. Mastermind Talks is one of the best events. And uh, now you can get a treadmill desk if you're interested. Really interesting to hear how he built that great business and then just hated it and ended up sabotaging himself and ended up crashing into a bunch of debt and how he used his network, which he was, again, he was doing that networking before he needed it to pull himself out of it, how he got up, got motivated and got himself back together and then rebuilt a business that serves himself much more than the other one did. I think that's really inspiring. And of course, now we know why your word and your network really are all that you have when you lose everything else. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed recording this with my buddy, Jason. Hope it inspired you as well. Special thanks to you guys for listening, show feedback, and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, jordanh at theartofcharm.com. And of course, boot camp details there as well, go ahead and email or call me. Honestly, that's the best way to get in touch and I'll give you everything you need to know about our programs here in LA. If you guys are listening, but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and make the change there because getting your shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher wherever you get your podcasts and search for The Art of Charm. That's it. And if you guys want to write us a nice review, we'll love you forever there as well because it helps other people find us and it's really important to keep our show ranks up. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.